Hey, Kevin. Hey, Will. Did you know this podcast is sponsored by Shortboxed? You mean the easiest and safest way to buy and sell graded comic books? Yes, they are trusted by the most respected dealers and collectors in the industry. Huh, never heard of them. Wow, really sounded like you had. No, I haven't, uh, but I'll check them out, definitely. Great. Screw it, screw it. We're just going to talk about comics. Why, hello there, and welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, everybody. The only podcast in human history where two brothers talk about something they like, and that something is comic books. I'm one of the two brothers slash comic book fans slash kind of comedian, Will Hines. And I'm the other one, Kevin Hines. The other one. Um, we are continuing our examination of the Frank Miller Daredevil, Frank Miller slash David Mazzuchelli Daredevil story, Born Again. Uh, we're doing issues 228 and 229, which is chapters two and three of the story. Uh, Kevin, I'm so excited. I'm glad you're excited. Mm -hmm. And what's your emotional dud state? of a story? Uh, <laughs> wow. <sort> of, <laughs> I think that's how most people think of it. They think of it sort of as just like dead <laughs> on arrival sort of thing, you know? Um, Even if you don't like the story, I can't imagine calling it a dud. <laughs> no. Uh, it's great. Um, it was, yeah. uh, I'm trying to only, I'm not trying to read ahead. And so last night I read issues, the second and third part, and I really wanted to read the next part immediately. Um, and I do, I, we had said this last episode, but the, this story, even more so than year one and dark Knight returns really ends with like cliffhangers that make you want to read the next oh, yeah. uh, issue right away. Yes, I totally agree. Like, oh, what happens next? What happens next? <laughs> they are just so good as an example of like doing its job as a comic book issue. It's it's really fun, like going from Dark Knight to this. Well, let's just, just say for some reason, if you didn't listen to the last episode, sure, yeah. this, is a this is a Daredevil story where the Kingpin, Daredevil's arch nemesis, has acquired Daredevil's secret identity and ruins his civilian life and drives him insane. Uh, this yeah. is that story. And it also is the story of Frank Miller, the art artist and writer who sort of rose to prominence in Daredevil and had left to do other things, has returned to do this story. And he's only writing it. The artist is David Mazzuchelli, who is one of the greatest comic artists of all time, even though he's done very little. Yeah. Um, it's I I got to imagine Marvel knew this would be good, but I bet they didn't know how good it was going to be. Yeah, um, because like Dark Knight Returns, DC knew this was something special. They released it in a very special format. Yeah, um, they're oversized stories like they're, they're making all these different exceptions for how they released it. And by the time year one rolls around, both Dark Knight Returns and Born Again had been released. So they knew that was something special, even though that was released just in the comics itself. It was but still like I wonder, hyped I wonder, up and advertised and stuff like that. Yeah, know? I wonder if this was just sort of like, they're like, ah, oh, Frank Miller's back. We're going to get some pretty good Daredevil stories out of him. And then yeah. he like wrote this and they're like, oh man, this is really good. I, yeah, I wonder too. I, I, I almost... Um... Or is Marvel just so much more disorganized, even That's, in this era? That, that could be true. Also, I remember reading in like, Amazing Heroes, which was the only sort of comic book trade publication that I even knew of in the mid 80s that like one of the advantages DC had over Marvel. And this seems insane to say now, but DC was owned by Warner Brothers 
And so they had like Warner Brothers books. They had this corporation above them that had a huge infrastructure that they could occasionally leverage. Like, remember, at this time, there had been superhero Superman movies and no other superhero movies. They were planning the Batman movie. Marvel movies were just not even a I mean, they were going to do these, these, you know, Marvel movies with these weird fringe. Yeah. Lame things. And so, like, on the big stage, DC was had better infrastructure than Marvel. So you might be right. Like it might just be that Marvel's like, we know it's good. We just we just don't know what to do. We got our yeah. hands caught in staplers and we're just trying to get the books out. It's also this is post Jim Shooter, Tom DeFalco's editor-in-chief, who I'm assuming was a pretty good editor-in-chief, but like also I think was sort of thrown into the role more than like than Jim Shooter. I guess Jim Shooter was also thrown into it, but it seems like he Shooter took to it. it aggressively, yeah. Yeah, uh, and Jim Shooter being like the the second great editor after Stan Lee, and then I don't think there's another great editor personally until like Joe Casada. There's editors, and some of them are pretty good. And I think Tom DeFalco is one of the pretty good ones, but he might have just been like swamped. Like Marvel had gotten so big and so much quality coming out, he might have just been like, well, we, "Is it okay if Frank Miller does Daredevil?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah, 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 whatever." Well, uh, Kevin, I, something I, over here. I want to. Jim Shooter's the editor in chief of these. Oh, is he? Tom yeah. Falco is, I guess, just when they got collected. Yeah. This, oh, yeah. This, this is this is in the shooter era. Okay, then. Uh, then you'd think shooter would have handled it better. He generally was pretty good about marketing this stuff. I, I might be remembering it wrong. Maybe there was some marketing for it, but I think like I just I think, think it, it just got, feels it, like it should it got, have been released. As a separate from novel. the Daredevil, yeah, comic. But I, I do think it's weird because Dark Knight Returns, which was coming out at the same time, yeah, the existence of Dark Knight created the whole idea of doing graphic novel releases. So in a weird way, it didn't exist, but it would exist six months later, right? But also Daredevil, like he had come back to do he at the same time he was working on like the Electra stuff. That was a miniseries, right? But that came out a year later, I think. Yeah, but I think he, he was working on those when he came back to do this. Okay. Okay, yeah. Uh, and then, like, while he was working on those, they're like, hey, do you also want to do Daredevil? I, there's also a very nice – I one of the things I like about this, and I don't know what Frank Miller thought of Daredevil when he first got the gig. I don't know if it was just like, a gig, great. Right. Um, or if it was like, oh, I've always wanted to do Daredevil. I don't or think so. Or if, like, oh, Daredevil's – getting a little noirish i kind of it, it it does fit my sensibilities or if he was just like yeah i could do something with this and then while he was writing it he fell in love with daredevil i i don't know i think about like peter david not really wanting to write the hulk right but he genuinely loves the hulk now sure because he spent so long on it and i think a lot of times these creators don't necessarily love the characters that they I think Simonson loved Thor before he got Thor. Sure, and Burn the FF. But I don't know if that's always true. Even Claremont, I don't. I think he wanted to do the X Men. I think he saw potential in it, but I don't think he was like a huge X Men guy. Right. He was just like a huge comic book guy. Like yes, he was probably more passionate about like Miss Marvel and things like that. Yeah, uh, they were a little off the beaten path. But he got X Men very quickly, and then made it a thing he loved. And now it's mm -hmm. part of who he is. And yeah. it, and, it, and I like to think that like Frank Miller came back to do Electra stories, kind of got swayed back to do Electra stories with Sinkiewicz. They're like, hey, do you also want to do Daredevil story? He's like, yeah, I guess I do. I love Daredevil still. Yeah, 
Now, now, and he comes back later on to do Man Without Fear. I think he just can't help it now. He's like, oh, I just love Daredevil. He's one of my favorite characters now, now that I've had him. Yeah. Uh, I think there's something interesting about that. In, in the same way that, like, I think when you read a book or a comic that you didn't love before, but then you, like, read a great run on it, all of a sudden, people always like, what are your favorite characters? And really what the answer is, is like, what are my favorite runs of comics? Yeah. Do I love Spider-Man or did I just love those Ditko yeah. uh, digests? We had so much that I love Spider-Man. Right, right. Because when I think about why I love him so much, I always think about those stories. I don't think about, oh, I love how Peter Parker is you know, going out and doing it. It's like, I don't think about him as like a general sense. I think about those stories that I love so Me much. Me too, yeah. I think about those Ditko stories. Do I love Booster Gold? Yeah, I do. But I don't love this time traveler guy from the future i love the guy from justice league international that i met and fell in love with yeah and his and his friendship with blue beetle which is like i like two guys being buddies on a superhero team is really what i liked yeah um and they are my favorite characters and i'm excited whenever something's announced with them and then disappointed that it doesn't live up to what i want it to be but it's just like what what why do i love those characters i don't love the old charlton blue beetle story i do actually like them but uh <laughs> But that's not what you fell in love with. That's um, not what I fell in love with. Yeah. And like, well, oh, I love the Hulk, but it's like, I love the Hulk because it was a great run when I first started reading it. I mean, you, the the Frank Miller run of Daredevil is what made everybody fall in love with Daredevil. And when you're talking about Daredevil, you start with Frank Miller's Daredevil and you go from there. Yeah. You, you might go into Brian Michael Bendis's Daredevil or somebody else's, but you start with the Frank Miller Daredevil. That is basically the creation of this character as something interesting even daredevil, though he, he'd existed for over 15 years at that point daredevil is so fascinating as a character right because he was created just sort of to be another spider-man yeah like another kind of wisecracking acrobatic hero they yeah. gave him a decent new hook with the blindness yeah i think that is that's a really fun hook it's a compelling then, like, power you know they don't have good creators on it to begin with it sort of changes artists a lot it's got that the dumb costume. costume. The original costume is cool, but it 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 doesn't do anything. The yellow one. Yeah, I think it, I think it works okay. But then, like Wally Wood slash Steve Ditko come in and redesign <laughs> it. We got to say we know it's just Wally Wood. We joke that it's Steve Ditko because we like to credit everything. I just got to say because he got so many corrections. Yeah. When I when I got it wrong the first time, but um, yes, go ahead. I'm sorry. Comes in and kind of designs like one of those like perfect costumes. Like certain characters just have costumes. You're like, oh yeah, you nailed it. This is it. Yeah. This is a costume that should exist. Yeah. I guess the first costume was focusing more on the circus aspect of a daredevil. And then Wally Wood just focused on the devil aspect of it. Right. And that just works so well. And it just, yeah. it pops it looks so, so good. great. Yeah. Um, and so now you get this great costume, but like still you don't have like a great comic book until like, you know, uh, I don't know who was writing it prior to Miller. But like there was, they were already starting to go noirish, is what I've heard. Like they were I edging towards that, is what people I I say. I don't know. I read those because they're in those visionaries, those collection of mine that you stole from me or that I gave to you. Um, you know, Frank Miller when he came on, Daredevil, I also stole uh, a lot of your money. Really? Okay. Yeah, you had a safe, and I popped it open and took a lot of the money out of it. There's better targets than me. Yeah, I got like eight hundred bucks. <laughs> yeah, your life savings, improv teaching money. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The um, Frank Miller originally was brought on to Daredevil just as the artist. And I, yeah. gosh, I can't remember who the writer was. And they were completely fine stories. Yeah, I'm I'm basing it just on the fact that I've heard 
that it was starting to move that way a little bit anyway. Maybe. But when Miller uh, took and, over, he accelerated it so much yes. that it, whatever had been done before looked like nothing compared yeah. to like what he did. But it's it's I guess it's just interesting that like would that have would have that worked? Would have that happened without the Wallywood costume? I don't know. Uh, if the, these like little steps towards it had hap- had not happened, would have Frank Miller been such a good fit on the comic to take it over? Uh, it, if Frank Miller hadn't been given this book, if he had been like given, you know, Avengers or something. Right, right. Because uh, uh, he probably would have taken any ongoing book. Maybe, yeah. He was a young guy, um, yeah. Would have Daredevil taken off like this? Yeah, it's weird to, weird to think about. Um, but he did. And now Daredevil is like one of these beloved comic book characters and it's also very weird i was thinking about this the other day because my son loves daredevil because he appears in like a a mini marvels comic book and he liked the look of the character and he asks me about daredevil all the time he goes daddy tell me about daredevil yeah um who are daredevils bad guys and i'm like there's not really any all ages daredevil stories i can share with them right they're all (laughs) brutal crime fiction like with Spider-Man, I can find like all ages stories where Spider-Man's fighting Sandman and it's fun and it's yeah. nothing, but it's like, oh yeah, this is a comic where Bullseye murders his girlfriend. And I can't <laughs> right. share that. It's, uh, his, uh, this is, his ex-secretary is a porn star heroin addict and uh, on the run from the mob. And I, and I, I kind of wish that there were, you know, all ages versions of Daredevil. Yeah. And I wonder how much of that is Marvel just being like, no, this is, this guy exists we, we need to be protective of him we, we, we can be a netflix cool show but he can't be uh, a disney cartoon maybe you know honoring I his legacy know. i don't know that's said they almost did make a cartoon based on daredevil i mean you certainly could do a family-friendly daredevil but the the legacy has always been dark crime fiction uh the cartoon would have included his dog being a crime fighter with him because <laughs> he's blind uh and yeah. it looks it looks very ridiculous, but also kind of cool. I kind don't of, know. Kind of sweet to a, a superhero and his dog. I do. I do like, I mean, I love Hawkeye and um, pizza dog. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I find it. In, uh, there's lots about Daredevil that I find interesting in a meta overreaching sense. Um, uh, let's, uh, but I distracted us from talking about this comic. Let's get into it. Chapters two and three of born again. So when we left yeah. off Kingpin had gotten the secret identity because Matt Murdoch's uh, ex-girlfriend Karen Page has become a heroin addict and porn star and sold it for drugs. So Kingpin used the information to ruin Matt Murdock's life. At the end of the last issue, his building was blown up, which somehow could, told Matt Murdock that it was the Kingpin behind this. And now yeah, start- it screamed gangster to him. Yep. And so now blowing up a building was a gangster move. We go to chapter two, Purgatory, which is basically Matt Murdock has gone insane. He has literally yeah. lost his mind because of what's happened. And this is a crazy Matt Murdock who is almost defeated in this issue. This is a crazy second chapter. When we finished chapter one and I had not reread everything beyond it, I, in my mind, I was like, oh, it feels like he could bounce right back now. That's what we said last he knows- last episode. And it, it, you a, a less interesting version of the story is he finds out it's the kingpin that kind of gives him his bearings because now he knows what's up. He focuses yeah. up and defeats the kingpin. Instead, he loses his mind. <laughs> yeah, he's so crazy in the story. And also uh, reading this part two and three, uh, we were talking a lot about Karen Page 
last episode. And, you know, she's a heroin addict, a heroin addict and a porn actress. So those things are there. She comes off way worse in this story where like, she's like selling her body to, to travel around. And it's yeah. like, if she had taken what happened last issue being threatened at gunpoint and sort of like regained her composure, which maybe is less realistic if you're a heroin addict and all, have gone through all this. I don't think Miller's it gives into her realism. more. It gives her more um, power. I think if she was sort of like getting to New York on her own, yeah, but uh, that doesn't quite happen. She she looks worse in this story. Yeah, if if the Dark Knight Returns, um, sort of has kind of like unfortunate glorification of violent vigilantes and fascists. Uh, I don't think that's intentional, but that sort of is. That's what comes along the way in Dark Knight in this hyper violent society. What comes along the way in Born Again is like these women with their drug addictions, you know, it's like they get, they get objectified in this book. Yeah. Uh, speaking of dark night, and I know we haven't even begun this issue yet. I I think about when we were talking about dark night and how violent that city is, how it sort of defends the need for Batman to be violent. At least story-wise. Yes. Yeah. That's also in this, like the, the city seems much more crime ridden than maybe necessary. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you compare the New York City of Spider-Man comics to the New York City of Daredevil comics, yeah. Daredevil somehow is living in like a Fort Apache, the Bronx kind of like post-apocalyptic, yeah. you know, police state. Uh, but that's that's what Frank Miller wants to do. His like crazy, yeah, pulpy, you know, mu- you know, um, Dashiell Hammett squared stories. Yeah, uh, and even in the '80s, I think Spider-Man's comic had more crime than New York City actually did. <laughs> Certainly right. more bank robberies. Yeah, there's certainly more guys with bags of money in Spider-Man comics than we're, than we're running around the streets of actual Manhattan. All right, let's okay. get into this actual Let's comic. get into it. So we start with Foggy and Glory. Glory, Matt's more recent ex-girlfriend, who is now living at Foggy's. And they're having kind of a charming moment where Foggy is clumsily trying to replace the light bulb and somehow blows it. I honestly don't know how he blows it. <laughs> yeah, it seems like he gets shocked. He's done something. I've I've changed a lot of light bulbs in my time, and I've never gotten an electric shock. Maybe the the wiring of Hell's Kitchen apartments in the eighties was really subpar. Yeah, uh, he falls on his back. It's a really a rom com moment. But then the phone rings, and uh, it's Matt Murdock. We and only Glory, and Glory we, answers and just says, "Foggy, it was Matt," and he didn't make any sense. And she's kind of horrified, and it yeah. kind of establishes the I guess the story point of this chapter, which is Matt Murdock has lost his mind. Yeah, and we cut to the very. It's a very fun moment, particularly in when you in the context of the rest of this story. Uh, it doesn't read as comedic, right? It reads as like a tone no. shift from this sweet rom com moment into a genuinely scared. I'm scared for Matt moment. Yeah, I'm, but uh, it, the phone conversations Matt has in this issue are insane and sort of funny. <laughs> they are sort of funny. Yeah. So we cut to the splash page, and like we said earlier, the first. The first chapters of Born Again, it always the splash page is always Matt Murdock asleep, so we can get a look at the state of his life. Last issue, he was asleep in his nice lawyer-funded apartment. Now that building's blown up, and he's in some kind of flophouse hotel. Um, he's barely covered by a sheet; it looks run down. His few possessions are scattered along the floor, and um, and he summarizes uh, that situation. And so we see that Matt's in a bad state. Yeah, he was left with 10 bucks to my name. I found a hotel that made change. 
I love it. I love those kind of Frank Miller isms. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot, I forget if we said it explicitly, but like a convention of a Frank Miller story, it didn't start off this way, but it quickly became this way over daredevils is the captions. It's much more like a short story where there's like a narrator and there's way less speech balloons. There's way less dialogue and it's more just like captions and pictures. Yeah. And Matt Murdock is just narrating his life. Um, and so he um, kind of the page, the page three of the story, he's kind of summarizing what happened, but um, he's, we're also seeing that he now looks on these events as a huge conspiracy of everyone out to get him. And he sounds nuts. Yeah. And he, and he keeps trying to remind himself that the Kingpin did it, but he can barely hold on to that in his mind. Uh, on the fourth page, he's like, no, no, that's, I'm going, it's the kingpin, the kingpin, yes. Like he has to remind himself that he knows who did this. It isn't a conspiracy, the kingpin did it. But he can't quite hold on to that. And he, can, he can't even get out of the room. He's so like exhausted yeah. by everything that's happened to him. The, the drama of the first third of this book is that he's too scared to turn the doorknob and leave his hotel room to do anything. He keeps saying he's going to get up and, and leave, and then he just goes back to bed. Um, and, and of course, he eventually, he's not even the one who opens the store when he leaves. Right. There's also, this issue uh, reminds me of what he gets even better at, Frank Miller gets even better at with year one, which is like jumping around between characters. Mm-hmm. Um, like these two pages are about Matt Murdock. Then the next page is going to be Kingpin. And we go back to Matt Murdock. And then as this issue goes on, we'll like jump around from like foggy for a panel to Matt Murdock for to three panels, ben to Ben Yurick for two panels. Yeah. And, uh, Batman year one jumps between Bruce Wayne and its star, uh, commissioner Gordon, uh, <laughs> back and forth a lot, really elegantly and perfectly, but it jumps yeah. a lot. It's very quick jumps. Uh, and you can see that here. This is like Frank Miller kind of, doing that uh, sort of it's, this is this story does a lot of the the tricks that he uses in Batman year one so elegantly with Masicelli. yeah um I agree so we go from crazy Murdoch unable to leave his room to the kingpin uh, in his office with floor to ceiling windows looking out over a snow-covered Manhattan happily because he's been toying with Daredevil and Matt Murdoch just like he looks both imposing and scary and also like a petty bully. Yeah, he thinks about how like how much how the his best part of his day is what he's doing to Daredevil. He's like <laughs> this super powerful, successful crime boss. Everything is going well for him, but the best thing he has going for him is torturing Daredevil. I mean, it's laid out for us right in these captions. As Daredevil, Murdoch had cost him little, but hounded him, annoyed him as a fly would. Now, with all the joy of a malicious child, the kingpin tortures the fly. Yeah, I mean, well, he described Daredevil as a fly. When I kill a fly, and I'll do it, man. I'll kill a fly. Wow. I don't get any glee out of it. Yeah, I'm not psyched. Yeah, I'm just sort of like, oh, good. I, I took care of that. Um, also, there's just like, there's some big, broad, simple things that this book does that it seems like regular comics of the time fail to do, which is like, just they use color in a big way to separate. Like Murdoch is, seems to be blue and yellow. Kingpin is like red and ominous. Mm-hmm. Uh, Foggy and Glory are like brighter and happier somehow. Like the like the tones shift in a big simple way 
that yeah. kind of keep you oriented as to which thread you're on and what the emotions are. Um, I was also thinking last time about what made Born Again special was uh, when you read most comic book stories, they 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 have so much exposition because they have to catch you up on all of the plots and subplots and anything that you know. Like I'm, my memory of like Spider-Man stories of this time, they were not all like what I'm about to say, but frequently it would be like Spidey swinging around the city and he's thinking and he'll, he'll sum up something on the story. It's like got to get to Aunt May's for a birthday party, man. You know she's really been mad at me since I haven't been paying attention lately. And maybe I'll have time to go by Deb Whitman's, you know, you know, she's kind of frustrated with me too. Then there's an explosion. Oh, what's that? A talking fish man, talking fish, man. I better go check out what's up. And this is, and it, you feel, I want to read this issue. I I missed the issue where Spider-Man fought the talking fish, man. That sounds great. (laughs) And and you feel connected to this big complicated continuity. And that's part of the fun or whatever. They call me the trout. Yep. Yep. That's what would happen. And, um, (laughs) I better call in Dr. Strange for this. And so, but the Miller stories, and this is also true, I think, of the of the Burn FFs, they felt self-contained. Like you're just in a little short story just for that issue. And you don't need to know anything more than what he's going to tell you. And that's not even a lot. That's what I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the good writers, I think, were good about like, you just need to recap what you need to understand this story. Um, but I just feel like I'm in my own little world here, separate from the Marvel universe in a way that I like. I mean, I love that. As you know, I've become sort of a proponent of non-connected universes. And like, Mm -hmm. what I don't want to think about in this story is like, why doesn't Daredevil just like call the FF? He's their lawyer. (laughs) Right, right. right. Matt Murdock has appeared in court for them. Couldn't he call the FF and say, hey, help. Yeah. Richest people in the world. Mm Mm-hmm. Can you take the kingpins kind of making my life miserable? Help me out. And they could do it. And that'd be a boring story. Yeah. But I don't want the Fantastic Four to exist. I don't want Matt Murdock to be the little, I don't want Spider Man to take down Kingpin for a separate crime while this is going on. Uh, because it doesn't it doesn't help this story. So we cut back from the Kingpin, you know, gleefully looking out over New York, back to Murdoch and his flop house. He tries again to leave. He fails this time. He no, has- this time though, it seems like he succeeds. Like he reaches for the, you see him reaching for the doorknob and turning the doorknob. And then the next panel, he's killed Kingpin already. Yeah. He has like what turns out to be a fantasy. And the caption is this. I walk out and a kind stranger gives me a ride uptown to the Kingpin's headquarters. And I punch the Kingpin out and he begs for mercy and gives me my life back and surrenders to the police. And everybody knows it's me who beat him. And there's a parade. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Yeah, it's just it's a good like crazy fantasy, and then yeah. we see that he's really gone back to bed and he wakes up and it was like a dream. Uh, then he does one of his insane phone calls where he says he's calling for the time, which is something you often did in the pre-internet era. You could call to find out what the time was, the exact time. That's right. Yeah, and um, but he's really calling Foggy and Glory, and uh, he's he's almost prank calling them because he thinks they're against him. Yeah, we just hear Glory say, Matt, don't say such things. And when Foggy gets on the line, he just hangs up. Then he calls back immediately. And just and when Foggy answers, Matt just goes, I'm on to you, Nelson, and hangs up. Which is an insane move for, like, if you think of the hundreds of issues, they've been best friends. Yeah. And the fact that Foggy Nelson defended him in court last issue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, he's insane or whatever. Uh, then there's footsteps in the hallway. He is scared it's Kingpin. Like, Murdoch's just been broken. He's completely terrified of the Kingpin. 
Yeah. And but the footsteps in the hallway are just a flop house like manager coming to collect some more payment or whatever. It's like if you either need to check out or give me another eight dollars. Yeah. Uh, But he opens the door to come in. So now the door is open without Murdoch having had to do it. And he chokes the manager out, drops him. And now he walks out to confront the kingpin. Right. And then we get kingpin having this story recounted by a very loquacious Yes. Uh, mafia guy who was sort of watching this whole event. Is this Stilson or do we know who this guy's name is? Uh, I don't know. This is not Wesley. It's not Wesley. So this is one of Kingpin's lackeys who has been spying on everything we yeah. just sort of witnessed. And he's reporting it to Kingpin in this really funny, like super flowery way. Yeah, just like his first word balloon is, it is indeed behavior of the least normal sort that I observe while perusing Matt Murdock as per your advisement, Kingpin. Yeah, he drops the hotel manager to the floor as one would drop a bag of fish, which one does not want. Whereupon he exits said hotel. And I guess Kingpin is like, this guy's good. I like the way this guy reports on stuff. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I guess Kingpin's into this guy's overwordiness. It feels it feels kind of Batman, doesn't it? To have like sort of like a like a theatrically um, flamboyant sort of villain person, even though it's only a henchman. It does. I mean, it also is just good storytelling. Like, even though this character has no purpose beyond what we're about to see it's like give everyone a personality it also makes it, it, it adds it makes comedy me, to it it's like sort of like it's kind of like a deadpan way to describe matt murdoch going insane yeah but it's also it's like, i think about like when i watch early seasons of good television shows that like go on for 10 years uh and like the last few seasons of shows aren't that good but when you watch those early seasons like every character is funny like the waiters are funny yeah. The uh, the guy they talk to on the street and buy coffee from, the do- hot dog guy. Everyone is like a good, fully realized, hilarious character. Yeah, they got and a then you get something. like season seven and it's just sort of like, here's your hot dog. Right, right. Uh, and there's something about this, like a good writer and the good writers are the ones that start shows. But Frank Miller's a good writer. He just can't write just a guy giving information to Kingpin, which would work. So what he gives him a personality where it's like, oh, this is a good role. I, it's one of the many things that make um, Born Again great. Um, so what, what the events are is that Murdoch's in the subway coming to see the kingpin, and he just there's a robbery and he brutally beats up the perpetrators, and then a cop comes on and he beats up the cop. Yeah, he also doesn't do it to defend any of the other people who got robbed. He only does it when the criminals point a gun at him. He's not helping people. He's just being vicious. Right. So he's broken. There is a little, I think, a Batman nod here where a woman's pearl necklace is ripped off her neck. Um, Maybe. uh, I don't know. The pearls don't shatter everywhere. I don't know. I think because it's Miller and Mazzuccelli and and Miller is a Batman nut. He's doing Dark Knight at this time. Yeah. He probably says, hey, let's have it just uh, rip. Whenever there's a mugger with a gun and there's somebody with pearls, then pearls Mm -hmm. get ripped off. If pearls were flying everywhere, we saw them hit the floor, maybe I would buy it. But it just seems like necklace ripping off is a shorthand for a burglary. This is 100% a Batman homage. All right. So, um, wow. Okay. (laughs) uh, So, Kingpin is delighted to hear this story because he he describes it. uh, Oh, he's ferocious, stupid, every man his enemy. I could not dream of a more perfect hell. And Kingpin says to this loquacious lackey, I envy you, you blessed little worm. You've witnessed the death of a noble man. Uh, And then he says, and basically he knows that Murdoch's coming for him and he can't wait. Yeah. You think he's coming here? And Kingpin just smiles and goes, I know it. 
Uh, we also we, see then Matt Murdock talk to Foggy for advice. And he sounds reasonable again, you know? Yeah, but Foggy seems to be advising him to go confront the Kingpin. Yeah, all we hear is Matt Murdock's side of it. It's the Kingpin. I keep thinking everyone's working for him. Um, I just, there was this cop and for no reason. And he, he imagines that Foggy's telling him like, no, no, you're doing good. You're doing good. Yeah. Yeah. Go, go, go beat the Kingpin. Yeah. He goes, I beat up a cop. You see, it's the Kingpin. I keep thinking everybody's working for him. And yeah, yeah. I know that practically everybody is working for him, but this is just a cop. There was no reason to what? Oh, you sure? <laughs> yeah. And then it turns out he really has just called the automated time recording at this time. And he wasn't talking to foggy. It was a figment of his imagination. Like he's just fully nuts. Yeah. He is completely. T- <laughs> this was maybe the most insane. Yeah. Of anything he's done in this issue. And I love it. Then we cut uh, we- to Karen page, female character of the century. Um, she's in a bar, she's sweating, she's going through withdrawal and she's trying to find Matt Murdock to save her. Mm -hmm. And then she sees some mob guys looking for her and she has to run away again. Right. She is all his, you know, Matt Murdock's phone line has been disconnected because of Karen page. So she can't contact him. Uh, then we cut to Matt Murdock and he arrives. We cut a little bit to Ben York and this is what I sort of mean. This is where we get like, we start doing fast cuts. Yeah, we, we, like we have two panels of Karen Page, two panels of Matt Murdock, three panels of Ben Yurick, uh, a panel of Matt Murdock, two panels of Foggy, two panels of Matt Murdock. Right. It's really fun, and it, but it doesn't feel disjointed. It just, it moves. Yeah, it's propulsive. It's not confusing. It, this is also where Mazzuccelli's art helps so much. Like, oh, yeah. just at a glance, you can very easily determine what's going on, and it, and yeah. it is beautiful to look at. He uses like panel sizes so like the matt murdoch panel sizes are all the same and the foggy ones are a different size and the ben yurik ones are instead of different ways so it's like just at a glance you can tell which panels go together yeah they without even reading or looking at anything yeah it's interesting if Uh, if the panels were empty and blank you'd still get some sort of the rhythm down right you'd still know i guess we're cutting between things um so Yurik is demanding to write a story to to investigate what's gone on to murdoch jjj is impressed isn't like you to take a stand, Ben. By the way, I think it is like him to take a stand, but all right. Um, Murdoch's uh, arrived at the Kingpin's offices, and everybody's just greeting him very politely. Come right in, Mr. Murdoch. Mr. Fisk is expecting you. I think he means take a stand against Jonah. Oh, okay. Okay. All right, so maybe that isn't like Ben. Like, I think when Jonah's like, no, do this, Ben does his job. But anyway, uh, yeah, Matt shows up at Kingpin's gymnasium. Yeah, uh, and, and, and he's he's kind of like John Wick, right? There's like all this just polite sort of like right this way. You know, they're expecting yeah. you. Kingpin told all his underlings, just let him right in. And they fight. And uh, Matt Murdock gets the first couple of hits in, and Kingpin looks overjoyed. His um, nose is bleeding, and he is smiling like a maniac. We also cut to Karen Page, who's on the run and who's determined now to get to Matt Murdock any way she can. Uh, we keep going with the fight after Murdoch gets a couple early punches in, but then Kingpin overwhelms him and knocks him out. Yeah. Uh, but Kingpin doesn't want to have to dispose of Matt Murdoch's body because um, there'd be too many questions to answer of why he murdered a, a lawyer, in his, an ex-lawyer in his office building. So they put him in a, a taxi cab, cover him in whiskey, and uh, uh, sink it to the bottom of the river. So it looks like, oh, he just had a car accident. This drunk, for uh, you know, this this sort of 
disgraced, disgraced yeah. lawyer has been gotten drunk and driven into the water. Yeah. And this is like one of my favorite endings to a just sort of like superhero issue ever. So we see this. Oh, yeah, it's not quite as good as the end of the Trout Man Spider-Man issue. <laughs> uh, the cab has been pushed off a pier. We we just we start from like a kind of wide shot of a cab underwater leaning next to a pier. We close up on it. There's like a body slumped over the wheel, cracked windshield. Then we close up even more and the eyes open. Mm-hmm. Then we cut to the last, the second to last page, and it's just Kingpin waiting for news of this cab being found. And it is found, um, but we see in the police report that Matt Murdock has escaped and he's not dead. Yeah. Uh, what, and the, the, the words of it are, at last the cab is discovered. And this is from the Kingpin's point of view. There is blood and bloody evidence of a struggle. There is a shattered windshield, a safety belt severed by the windshield's glass. And what in what must have been a hideous effort of will, there is no corpse. Then a different panel close up on the eyes. There is no corpse. Kimping looking out over the city in a wide shot. There is no corpse. And then the final panel, a slumped over haggard, we assume, Matt Murdock crawling into an alley, having escaped. Yeah, and but think about, but it's a good ending. But thinking about that trout issue, Spider-Man <laughs> has dropped the trout off at the police, and he goes, "Order the salad next time." Uh, I think that stands with you more for most people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, order the order the salad next time. Now to get over to Avengers Mansion because I forgot I didn't finish Iron Man Scavenger Hunt that he invited me on. That's the next issue. Another great classic Spider-Man issue. The yeah. scavenger hunt he did with the Avengers. Of all the craziest things I've done, a scavenger hunt is one I never thought, right? What's the next item? Jeeves, Jeeves diary, but that's... Jarvis? Oh, yeah, Jarvis, sorry. <laughs> all right, let's take a break before we do the second issue. So, Kevin, Screw It Comics is sponsored by Shortboxed. Why don't you tell the people what that is? Shortboxed is an app and a website where people buy and sell graded comic books uh, that they've uploaded photos of and then you know ship them to each other. Sort of like a, a, a very specialized uh, shopping network. I've already talked too much. Uh, no, you're doing great. And uh, what is uh, graded comic books? Graded comic books are when people send their comics to a third party. Mm-hmm. We take these comics and kind of judge the condition of the comic book. Is it is it folded? Is it ripped a little bit? Is it how faded are the colors? And then they kind of seal it in like sort of this hard plastic and send it mm-hmm. back with a grade on it uh, between like zero and 10. So 10 being like, oh, this comic is in perfect condition. It could not possibly be better. And one is, what did you do to this comic book? <laughs> what happened You're here? a monster, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Sharpbox, their app has just been redesigned recently. So it's more intuitive and prettier. And they have giveaways where you can like enter contest to win graded comic books, sometimes signed, sometimes pretty old. I enter, I've entered a few and I've won zero. Hint, hint, short box. Let's rig it for your sponsees. Yeah, that there's no controversy there. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Shortboxed is great. We think you should download the Shortboxed app and check it out today. Or tomorrow, one of the two. back to talk about Spider-Man's uh, Avenger scavenger hunt issue. <laughs> this is an oversized issue. They, they put 40 pages in this issue. It seems this like one, too much. This one they released special. Yeah, this was a glossy born, cover. Born Again was just in the issues. 
no villains. <laughs> just collecting scavenger items. Like he has to get a photo of himself behind the counter at a McDonald's. Like he works mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, I mean, it's a great issue. I love it. It's classic. But uh, just it seems weird to put so much into this. They all have to get pictures price. sitting on Santa Claus's lap. Yeah. $10 cover price. And this is 1986. It's very it's too expensive. Much. So it's too much. Too much. Too much. Um, uh, so that there is no corpse ending of the last issue is like, I mean, I just think it was just so it, seeing that Matt Murdock escaped from the cab. It worked on me a hundred percent. I was so excited to see now that Murdock has like survived. Um, and this is the issue now where Murdock starts to starts to recover. Yeah. We start with almost a, a, a retelling of his origin. Um, uh, yeah, no, we do get a retelling of his origin. He's collapsed in an alley, which we will get a look at in a couple pages. But he, this is an interesting layout. Down the left part of the page in a long column is a close-up on Matt's face with his eyes closed. He's sometimes mm-hmm. crying. But then the bulk of the page is like a flashback to him when he gets his powers and goes blind. Yeah. So we get a couple panels of him like pushing the person out of the way of a truck and then getting hit by the canister. But then it's like black panels because he's blind for the rest of it. And we see him dealing with his newly heightened senses. And it's an interesting thing that he's dealing with it while he's in a hospital. So he can feel the procedures. He can feel the injury. He can smell all the chemical disinfectant powerfully, and he doesn't know what's going on. When people speak, their text like fills the panel because it's so loud to his now sensitive ears. Yeah. Uh, little hints too, his dad comes to see him and he describes, then past the fumes of whatever it is they use to clean the floor, there comes a wave of whiskey, a megaphone voice. Just a little hint that his dad's a drunk. I think he loves his dad and his dad raised him, but there's hints of a troubled childhood there, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and then the next page is, this is something that Miller adds to the, Matt Murdock mythos, which is that his mother, who has never been part of the story. Yeah, she's not named as his mother here. She's not named as his mother, but a different voice, and we know it because there's a speech balloon, um, comes to him in private and somehow is able to tell that he's going through something or maybe even can tell that he has superpowers, possibly, but soothes him and gives him a gold necklace. No, she's just wearing a gold necklace. Yeah, he just touches it. Yeah. And then uh, the- and helps him sort of keep his powers in check a little bit. It, it reminds me a little bit of the bat from Dark Knight Returns. Like it's some sort of magical ability to give him the strength to be Daredevil. Yeah. And so then the next time, a little bit later, and also the picture of him's face in the alley, we're like zooming out slowly with every page. Um, the next chapter and, and of this little flashback is the dad comes back and now Matt Murdock is awake and he's calmer. He's not scared. Yeah. The only things that aren't black are like when he's, his mom kisses him and he touches the necklace. You can see those shapes to show that he is feeling something. It's really beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and and then we get to Frank Miller wrote this full script, but because he's an artist, I think he just knows how to create a beautiful looking page. And then Mazzatelli can take that and knock it so far out of the park. It's nuts. Yeah. Um, And then we get to the splash page and we see that, Matt Murdock has fallen even farther. Last issue, he was in a flop house. Now he's just in an alley uh, with two other unhoused gentlemen. 
and Murdoch's just curled up in the corner. His coat's not even covering his back. Mm-hmm. Um, and he basically summarizes the story thus far. Uh, I keep my heightened sense of secret from my dad. I find a teacher who helps me master them. My dad is murdered. I become daredevil and fight crime. Other things happen, a home, a career, but the other things are gone now, so they don't matter. Gone, the kingpin took them away, found out my secret identity, took everything away, and I attacked him, and he killed me. Yeah, and this is like a hint of what Frank Miller is doing here with this. Those other things don't matter anymore. Those are the things that are not coming back to the story as far as Frank Miller cares. That's right. He's just going to be a fighter. Um, Then, So now the basically this issue... Murdoch is starting to recover, but he's basically kind of in purgatory. Mm -hmm. He's kind of wandering, broken, just like a – it's next issue that he really fully comes back. Um, This issue, it's like, yeah, he's in limbo. Mm -hmm. So we cut to – This is really, as most people consider it, the Ben Urich issue. (laughs) Well, there is a lot of Ben Urich in it. I do love Ben in this story. So we cut to Foggy and Glory. They're now Christmas shopping. Glory is robbed. Her purse is ripped off, but Foggy takes a bowling ball he was buying for a friend of his and throws it at the guy's head, which I think should kill him. Yeah, this man should be dead, but he just runs off with like, runs what off. I assume is like a, a a bruise on his cheekbone. So we see Foggy like save Glory. What do you think the point of this is? Just to show how violent the city is? To show that Foggy is a hero too? I don't know. I, yeah, I think it is to, to, to give Foggy some uh, proactive power here something that i think karen could use in this issue or glory uh glory sort of doesn't matter though does she she doesn't seem to stick around in the story i mean that's rough to say but she's a being a photojournalist uh but it does i think it also is just one of these things where um this um the city is so evil and crime ridden yeah nobody can stop all this crime we need daredevil it's like gotham jr um A little cut to Matt Murdock, who's rising from the alley and starting to walk around. Then we get to Ben Urich, the star of this issue. Yep. Ben Urich is investigating the Matt Murdock frame. And so he's found Nicholas Manolis, the cop who testified against Murdock. And Nicholas is over his very sick child. And, of course, that's the reason that Nicholas yeah. wrongly fingered was he took what, what, a bribe from Kingpin to pay for the medical bills. Yeah, what was hinted at in issue one is now spelled out that he needed money to do this very experimental cutting edge surgery for his son, but it doesn't seem to be working, which is horribly sad, horribly sad that this man like sort of betrayed his own beliefs and morals and ethics to save his son. And it didn't work. His son still dies. It's so sad. Yurik goes to him, by the way, how's the kid? And in little tiny letters, the, the cops has complications going under the knife in an hour could die tonight. Yeah. Which he does, which he does. Uh, we cut to Matt Murdock. He's still just kind of wandering around the city. Then to Karen Page. She's stealing money from a beggar because she's not low enough. Uh, the beggar screams and grabs her arm. Karen Page runs off. We stay on the beggar. There's two shadows over him as the henchmen who are chasing Page are right behind. Mm-hmm. Cut back to Murdock. He's just wandering in the street like Frogger. Yeah, he's getting hit by cars. Mm-hmm. This is this reminds me of a Ditko Amazing Fantasy 15 because he gets hit by a car. The car keeps driving and goes, he looks bad. Just keep driving, man. Who needs the grief? <laughs> they hit this guy, not just like nicked him, knocked him over their car. Yeah. <laughs> and they just drive on. Frank Miller's New York does not care. Yeah. Uh, cut back to Foggy and Glory. They're kind of in domestic bliss. Foggy's telling his parents about her. Then we cut to a uh, Daredevil staple, Turk. 
Yeah. The underling who is stealing, <laughs> who is beaten up a Santa Claus, like a Salvation Army, and stealing the outfit so that he can rob people. Yeah, they want to like, they're going to basically ring their bell in the Upper East Side uh, or Upper West Side and uh, Upper collect. East Side, he says, and collect money from people just without any effort. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Matt Murdock is insulted that this guy is taking a Santa costume and insists, take it off. And Turk uh, stabs him. Stabs him. Turk, probably his only moment of victory over Daredevil <laughs> in the whole mythology. He doesn't even know it. Doesn't even know it. He stabs Daredevil without knowing it. Yeah. And then uh, they leave. And so now Murdock's been stabbed in the, I mean, it looks like the <laughs> sternum. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, typical superheroes, you can shake off a stomach wound pretty easily. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ben Yurick basically is waiting for this cop to come out after his son has died. Uh, yeah. And there's a great little caption from Ben saying, if you want me to describe the way that makes me feel, you're a ghoul. Right. And so he's not happy about what he's doing, but he's doing it because he's got to get the story. Sometimes these stories might seem cavalier or insensitive, but I do want to say, like, reading them in – in the context of regular superhero comics, I was just like, Frank Miller is awesome. <laughs> Not that I was excited to have a kid character die, but just like these stories are excitingly brutal and they seem to go places that other people are frightened to do. I mean, I also think as a kid, uh, um, that probably had zero impact on me. Yeah. As a father for me, uh, no, and you knowing my son, it, I don't know, that stuff hits me much harder than it ever would have before. Uh, like it used to be just shorthand, like, oh, lost a kid. That's sad. Great. Got it. Understood. I'll mark that down as a sad thing. And now I read it. I'm like, oh, awful. Oh, why does this have to happen? Why do you need to have this in the story? It's like, yeah, it's a it's, much more impactful moment. Right. Uh, Murdoch is now wandering around post being stabbed. And now we get to Karen Page is having dinner with this guy named Paolo, who's a drug dealer, and he will transport her from Mexico to New York city in exchange for sex is what it looks like. Yeah. And he's going to also throw in some drugs. He's going to throw in some drugs. He's, that gonna, she's paying for She's got the money she stole. He'll give her drugs. And, but then the sex she will give him is for the ride. And he also murders the henchmen who confront them. And he grabs Karen's wrist and says, you better be worth this it's kind of uh, terrifying. Yeah. It's awful. And this is where I think Karen comes off this issue. Just Karen, not doesn't seem awful. It seems like she's been put in a horrible situation that Frank Miller has crafted for her. But I kind of yeah. wish she wasn't left to these sort of devices and, and we can make her more uh, overcoming her problems on her own versus yeah, like I, just just rather than going deeper into it to get Frank uh, to get to Daredevil to save her. Yeah. When there was like a Daredevil show, when the Daredevil show on Netflix was coming and you'd hear like, oh, they're going to borrow from the Frank Miller stories. It's like, well, I hope they don't borrow the Karen Page stuff because that's going to suck. And they, and they didn't. Yeah. Um, uh, so now we get uh, Murdoch still wandering. He's go he's looking for his father's home, Foggy and Glory. Foggy's given her a beautiful necklace. So they are now fully cemented as a couple. Mm -hmm. uh, Murdoch discovers that his father's home, his childhood home has been destroyed. Then we cut to Ben Yurick, and this is kind of the climax of the of the story, which is that um, Nicholas is ready to give a statement, or maybe is ready to give a statement, but a big old nurse 
who had been watching the boy is comes out here and it turns out it's a kingpin like in bodyguard or something yeah. and breaks Ben's fingers and warns him to not investigate this story and kills the cop. Uh, no, just, just beats up the cop. The cop survives. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I didn't read the next issue. It's, yeah. It sounds, it's all off panel and it, uh, he just says, I get to ben, see ben what thing says. Yeah. The worst thing is that I don't pass out. I get to see what she does to Nick Manolis. So yeah. Nick Manolis gets it worse for sure. He gets, I think like multiple bones broken, but he is, he does survive. Uh, he breaks a finger or maybe breaks Ben's arm. Um, uh, definitely. Yeah. He's definitely in a cast on the cover of the next issue. Um, then we cut to Murdoch who has gone from his father's destroyed childhood home to the gym where he worked out as a child. Um, Foswell's gym, which is sort of a Marvel staple. Yeah. And um, he hits the bag just like he did when he was a kid. And then he slumps over and passes out. We cut to Karen Page on a couch with Paolo. There's a knife in the foreground. Um, no, it's a syringe. Oh, is it a syringe? God, what a bummer. Yeah, yeah. It's a bummer. Um, yeah, uh, it's syringe and cords. She has shot up on heroin, and now he's having sex with her. <laughs> Jesus Marvel <Christ>. Comics. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, hey, kids. <laughs> you're not going to believe. Check out this issue with Daredevil. It's got we, everything you like. Heroin? More heroin than DC Comics would ever use. <laughs> Do you like women shooting up and then being sexually abused? <laughs> Make yours Marvel. <laughs> um, for all of Stanley's shortcomings, I don't think he would have written this story. <laughs> Um, you won't see this in the distinguished competition. <laughs> um, um, Frank yeah. Miller, or sorry, Matt Murdock is passed out in the gym and his mother, we don't know it's his mother yet, but the same nun yeah. who came to him as a child just kind of magically shows up and um, puts him in her, her lap. This is sort of an homage to uh, the painting of the Pieta where the Virgin Mary has Jesus in her lap. And to me, yeah, this is again, like this magical thing that his mom just knows where he is and knows what he needs. It shows that through God or through love or something. She is sort of the bat in Batman taking yeah. care of Batman. Like this nun is taking care of daredevil. Yep. And then we cut back finally to Kingpin. We have not seen a lot of this issue who is very haunted by the fact that there was no corpse and he knows that Matt Murdock is out there and he knows mm -hmm. that this is bad. Like if Murdock survived that now he wasn't scared before, but now he seems worried. Yeah. He's like the fact that this guy was driven enough, wasn't defeated enough to let, let his death stand. But Daredevil should have been so beaten that he just died. And so, uh, Uh, this is yeah. six hours after he heard the news. So this is like the little speech that he gives himself six hours since he learned that Murdoch survived six hours spent sweating and straining, seeking the limits of his own inhuman strength, seeking the place past the thought there is no corpse. What is it about Murdoch? He was a minor concern, a promising talent to be observed and cataloged, even occasionally flattered, perhaps one day to be turned the kingpin's way. But he's much more than this. No, but he's more than this. Now he's much more than this. He always was. I I have shown him that a man without hope is a man without fear. That's the ending. Yeah. It's Kingpin sort of admitting that this wasn't just a fly. There was a reason that this terrible something about terrible bothered Kingpin more than he should have. And he's kind of admitting that there he's, you know, he is 
formidable. He is a, a big problem. Uh, yeah, and uh, that that's where the issue ends, basically with Kingpin knowing that he has awoken some giant in mm-hmm. Matt Murdock. Um, Murdock being saved by his supernaturally aware mother, the nun. Yeah. Um, again, it's not revealed yet that it's his mom, but it will be. And that's where we leave. So now next issue is the comeback. Yeah, and if we're not for the scavenger hunt Spider-Man issue, this probably would have been the bestseller of the, the year, but... That's right, but a scavenger hunt thing was just a huge, huge smash hit. <laughs> In the wake of his battle with the trout, check out <laughs> Spider-Man on a scavenger hunt. <laughs> but don't worry, true believers, there'll be some action coming soon when Spidey has to beat a claw machine to win the final <laughs> prize. <laughs> Must use my spider sense. Uh, if you've got thoughts on the scavenger hunt issue of Spider-Man or Born Again, um, email, email us, us at screwitcomics uh, at uh, gmail.com. I forgot our email for a second. Screwitcomics at gmail.com. Also follow our Instagram, screwitcomics, and our Twitter, screwitcomics. Um, and go to Shortbox. The contest is over, but uh, go to Shortbox. And you browse. blew it. You missed out in the contest, everyone. You blew it, everybody. But uh, go browse for some comics, download their app, uh, help us out, and and help them out. Yeah. Uh, you can still go to the Screw It page as a launch pad. I think you could still enter and get the the $15 coupon always. They're happy to give that out. A little break if, if you're interested in entering the world of buying or selling graded comics. Yeah. Uh, um, we'll and- be back next week probably with X-Men and Mailbag. And then the week after that, we'll continue Born Again with the next two parts. See you soon, everybody. Hey, Rachel, Oscar. Yeah, Claire? Claire? Do you love Disney movies? Uh Uh-huh. Have you seen them all? Not Not all of them. them. What do you guys think if we watch them all in chronological order and then talk about them? Ooh. Oh, and what if we could talk about it with some of our favorite friends? (gasps) I love that. Yeah, what if we do it inside the Disney Vault? You know, that's the name of our podcast, Inside the Disney Vault on Campfire Media. Yeah, check us out on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to yours. That's Inside the Disney Vault. Let's go. Campfire.